0: Hello, and uh, yes, welcome back to another Quorum stream, our second one for this third term of the 2020-21 uh, academic year. So I am and uh, your, well, your outgoing uh, head of sport for Roald 451 AM, I am Josh Sim. Thank you so much uh, for watching or listening to this one, however you're consuming this content. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for taking the time um, be sure to you know follow as usual in the video description um our social media links so be sure to uh click on all those and follow them um obviously <laughs> the classic youtuber thing like subscribe to the video notification bell on uh, all that kind of stuff uh feel free to do that um and yeah it's been it's been a while since we our last football sort of show was about the super league so it's good to dive back in obviously a lot's happened uh, we're not gonna recap everything we're gonna just keep it to the more recent stuff um obviously you know we will be our last i think our last recorded thing after the football stuff has been the f1 our, our uh, portuguese grand prix recap and our spanish grand prix preview so you can check that out and um, see how many predictions we got right and how, and the many that we got wrong, um, that we got wrong on that stream. So yeah, uh, as I said, uh, we've got a, a packed panel, um, some new faces who you're going to probably see, uh, a lot more regularly, um, throughout, you know, the next year or so. Um, so I'm very excited to, to have them on. So, uh, kicking us off, uh, we will bring in, uh, our long, our, our, our experienced campaigner on this, our, our long-time panellist uh, and, or dare I say, anxious Roma fan ahead of today's uh, Derby della Capital. Capitale, uh, Joe Spagnoli, hello.
1: I'd say most of that is fair, although I don't really know how much of a campaigner I am so much as having a biased agenda against anything to come from these aisles um but no i'm looking forward to it josh and before we get into any of it i am incredibly grateful that you have provided me an outlet in my postgraduate <laughs> life uh, to talk about football and formula one from the not so sunny dales of shropshire because i swear to god there is nothing else to do out here so thank you very much for a year of let's be honest very unexpected uh, circumstances and content Hey,
0: you know i just i just facilitate i'm just here to you know i i set the show up and then invite all of you to come on and talk about it. And, you know, I just sit back and get to enjoy it. So pleasure's all mine. Um we'll bring on next our uh the deputy uh for that has uh been a great addition to to this show and to this department. Uh Ben Parkinson's with us. Ben, how are you?
2: Yep, afternoon Josh, afternoon Joe. I'm very well, thank you. Big week for Manchester United this week. Uh so it'll be interesting to dive into some of those things that have gone on. Uh as you said off-show, uh, Josh, on and off the pitch. It will be interesting.
0: Yep. Uh of course it, it will sort of tie back to our sort of Super League discussion we had a couple of weeks ago. Um, at the time uh Ed Woodward was announced to leave the club. And since then, I dare say sort of Chaos has then sort of come out. I guess when you lose a, when you lose the the figurehead of your club, I guess it makes sense that chaos then just unfills behind it. Um, so yeah, we're looking forward to dive into that um, for a bit. And then also we have, I think, first time this year. He'll correct me if I'm wrong, but the new uh, editor of the sports section for the Boar, um, Sam Matthew Baymers
3: join us. How are you? I'm very good, Josh. Thank you. Um, this is actually my first time on a quarantine stream, so. Big day, but um, looking forward to it. Looking forward to talking about the FA Cup final, which in my eyes is still probably the biggest game in English football. So yeah, lots to look forward to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I know I'm putting you a bit on the spot, but obviously you've you've had a few weeks in charge of the the sports section of the ball. Is there anything you want to plug? Anything um, coming up or that you've recently put out that people should go and check out?
3: Um, Now you mentioned it, Josh. Today we're actually doing a Twitter kind of live updates of the FA Cup final, it's kind of a new thing for us, so we've done um, kind of a website live updates thing in the past, which has done really well, and I decided to extend that onto a kind of exclusively Twitter type thing, see how many interactions we get, see if people are into that kind of thing, so keep in touch with our Twitter to get updates of today's game.
0: Absolutely. And um, yeah, it must be very exciting for you to have taken this role as well. So and I'm very, very interested and excited to see what you have coming up. Um, Finally, our final panellist, last but not least, uh, you've seen him on a couple of the football streams, a couple of F1 streams, but now you'll see him as the incoming uh, new head of sport for all fifty one am throughout the next year. Will Kingswood, hello.
4: Um, Hi, good to be here. And yeah, I'm the new head of sport. I didn't really expect to get the role i thought there'd be other people um who might be more qualified than i am but i'm really happy to have got the role and i'm really looking forward to getting started
0: to be fair like you know as long as you've got a passion for sport um that's the real only qualification you really need um so yeah i'm very excited to have you on and to fill the role over the next year but um, we should inform people who are listening and watching. The way this is gonna work is I'm gonna run the first half of this stream, and then Will's gonna take over the second half um, as host, and we will just swap roles essentially. Um, so a bit of a precursor to anyone who then maybe, I don't know, tunes in for the second half of the hour and then realizes they they're hearing voices in different orders, etc. Um, a different different voice asking the questions. Uh so there we go. Um, right, I guess we start with. Uh, sort of the, uh, it has been a lot of football played, a lot of results played, um, and I'll get some of, I'll get the table up first because I think we should start with that. We now have, an, we officially have, uh, and I say new Premier League winner. I guess a new one from the previous season, but obviously a team who are very accustomed to winning silverware in this sort of modern era of football. Uh, Manchester City clinched the title. I think was it, and someone here can correct me if I'm wrong, it was the United's defeat to Leicester, was it, that sealed the title? So it wasn't City, it wasn't on City's doing, but um, obviously, as you can tell, 13 points clear of Man United, um, their nearest challenger, so sort of well-deserved. Yeah, I guess we start with that, really, and uh, jumping over to you, Sam, first of all, um, it's, you know, it's quite. It's one thing to guess lose your title last year and lose it to Liverpool, who are obviously close to perfect. And then it's it's quite something to sort of then sort of respond to that and come out swinging and put in a close to flawless campaign of your own to kind of wrestle the title back.
3: Um. Yeah. Exactly, Josh. I mean, a lot of people last year. Are Liverpool's kind of dominance in the Premier League, kind of doubting Pep Guardiola slightly. They were seeing him when he hadn't won the Champions League, still hasn't won the Champions League in about 10 years, and they were doubting his credentials as kind of a top, top-level manager. But this year, he's just proven them all wrong. He's, he's spent well. He's made good moves in the transfer market. I mean, we can all see how good Ruben Diaz has been for the club. He's been the best defender in the Premier League and perhaps even the best player in the Premier League. And he's also adjusted his tactics. I mean, not many people at the start of the year would have expected Sergio Aguero, who's such a club legend, to be kind of sublined almost in the way he has been, and for them to go for this complete strikerless formation with Bernardo Silva as kind of number nine. You wouldn't really expect that to work, but it has done completely, and it's kind of testament to Guardiola's ability and tactical nous and in the transfer market that Manchester City was so dominant in the Premier League this season. And could go on to win the Champions League, and in my eyes, they probably will go on to win the Champions League.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, it obviously this is a sort of different iteration of Guardiola's city that has sort of been has evolved and had changes sort of sprinkled here and there. Um, Will, I'm just curious to know, what do you think? And I know it must annoy you, as we have two Man United fans, actually, on this show. So both of them doubly annoyed with sort of the outcome of the the league table. But um, Will, what's been the biggest sort of improvement slash change, I guess, that you've noticed that has made Man City a sort of winning title machine again?
4: Um, I think it's not really something Man City have changed. I think it's the fact that Liverpool just dropped so dramatically from last season, I think. I can't remember the title from uh, like the table from last season, but I think City were quite way ahead of third place. I think it was between like Leicester, Chelsea, and United for fourth. So, oh, for third and fourth. So I don't think that City have really changed much. Obviously, they haven't. I think on a big thing is uh, moving sort of Cancelo into like just to play every role. He sort of just runs around and does his job really well. But I think that the main reason that they're like, I mean, they're not even that far ahead in terms of points from uh, like United. It's just like we've lost our last two games. Obviously that's due to like fixture regions and probably other issues that we've had. But I think City have improved slightly. I think it has been mainly because Liverpool have really dropped off in the last year.
0: For sure. I mean, Liverpool's sort of, um defense of their title has been has been uh I words fail me it's not it's not been very good uh, to keep it to put it mildly um joe i mean you know we've we've watched city and guardiola for a while obviously you know last year they had injury issues i remember sort of Imeric laporte going down quite early on and that seemed to impact th- them defensively and obviously then shifting fernandinho to a center back spot and a bit reshuffled there um also last year just seemed like they're attacking sort of it they not that they weren't clinical but there was just something missing there wasn't something sort of connected obviously again kevin de bruyne being out for periods of time last season obviously impacted that as well um you know this year de bruyne obviously fit and firing back again at close to if not his very best uh the addition of Ruben Diaz sort of lightening that defensive load from Imeric Laporte and a re- rejuvenated John Stones as well it feels like all the pieces have sort of come together for this Manchester City team and they're sort of they're they're, they're back at their best and even without sort of as, as Sam alluded to, the talisman that is Sergio Aguero it is still you know, they've they've evolved past that to be reliant on multiple groups, a group of players as opposed to one single goal scorer.
1: And the big player in form at every point in the season has changed pretty dramatically as the months have gone by. I remember, you know, when the when the new year started, we were all talking about Ilkay Gundogan, someone who was originally quite an odd signing for Man City in the first place didn't really set the world on fire in his first couple of seasons in the Premier League but then at the beginning of 2021 was handily the best performing player in the entire league Ferran Torres as well we weren't exactly expecting him to have a major impact as a rotation option just someone who's kind of brought in to replace Leroy Sane but again he's been fantastic Phil Foden whoever would have expected him to be potentially even England's best young winger this year that's the kind of role he's been put into De Bruyne has amazingly not even been the number one star in this team it has all been built much like Liverpool's improvement stemming and starting from the signing of Virgil van Dijk it's all come from that Ruben Diaz effect I was the biggest critic of that signing originally for the fee if nothing else I rated the player but I didn't think he'd have such an impact in the first year I'm very pleased to admit that I was wrong Handily the best player in the Premier League this year, a shoe-in for best signing as well. And as someone who has been so furious about the obsession with attacking football and how people seem to mistake attacking football for good football, I'm just really happy that the Premier League title has been won by a team that ahead of a season that we knew was going to be so difficult in terms of fixture congestion, in terms of COVID restrictions, in terms of, you know, player physical conditioning after such a destroyed season last year, it seemed like Pep Guardiola anticipated all of this. He's proven that you can control possession, And play defensive football at the same time. This is a very different Manchester City that we've seen this year. And for the first time, actually, it feels like this is a genuinely top class Man City. I was never convinced by them when they were a massive attacking side in the Premier League a couple of years ago. All the way through this year, they've looked like not only Premier League champions, but Champions League winners as well. And I echo Sam, I believe they are going to beat Chelsea, and I don't think it's going to be close.
0: If I may, can I just ask a quick follow-up? Why are you... I mean, obviously, there's a fair bit of time to go before the Champions League final. Why are you so convinced already that Manchester City are the favourites to win against Chelsea?
1: Because Manchester City do what Chelsea does better. They are They are a defensively focused team, at least this year. However, on paper... Manchester City's players are superior at every area of the pitch. I'd even put Edison Moresh a long way ahead of Edouard Mendy. Don't get me wrong, I rate Thomas Ducal massively. I think he's one of the best managers in the Premier League. But it's a case of, you know, it's, it's no coincidence that the three teams that have improved massively, at least in the second half of this season, Man City, Chelsea and West Ham, have all focused on defence before a ludicrous obsession with generating poor chances. Man City are Chelsea, but better. Or at least that's how I see them.
0: Interesting point. Fair enough. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it, it as you sort of alluded to, I guess the next priority for them is the Champions League. Um, as you could tell by, we're recording this on a Saturday, on Friday night, they played Newcastle and uh, 4-3. I don't think a City team focused would allow that to happen, let alone Guardiola letting Scott Carson having a run out for the first time in a very long time, sort of dusting off, Someone dusting off the cobwebs for him, having been in the squad for so long. Um, but yeah, as, as you sort of alluded to, the priority would be the Champions League. Um, is there, I mean, Sam, is there anything you want to see from Man City? But from, I mean, I know it's only two games now because obviously they've played already this week and only two Premier League games left. Is there anything you want to see from them heading into the Champions League final in terms of preparation? Is there anything they can do? Or do you feel that they are sort of, ready as they are at the moment and they just have to keep that rhythm going
3: um to be honest josh i just think they have to continue that rhythm going as you say i mean as as joe was saying they've become a completely different team this year i would say i'd say probably in slight disagreement to will i think this year they've taken a step up they've gone to another level i mean they played beautiful football as they have done in the past. But as Joe was saying, they've also backed that up with such a solid defence, maybe even the best defence in Europe and with one of the best centre-back pairings in Europe with John Stones and uh, Ruben Diaz. And so I would say in the next few weeks, Guardiola will just be telling his players more of the same, more goals, more clean sheets, and let's just keep this momentum going into, into the biggest game, perhaps in Manchester City's history.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Ben, I know we haven't heard on you, from you that from on this yet, but I just wanted to ask because you look at that squad profile, and a lot of them are sort of mid twenties, maybe starting, maybe getting to late twenties. But there's there's not a lot of, I guess, clear out that will need to happen. Obviously, we know Sergio Aguero is leaving at the end of the season. It's obviously, a striker maybe on on target uh, on the on the tra- shopping list for Man City. We know Fernandinho is obviously not getting any younger. He might be someone that they'll have to look at a replacement for in due course but apart from that and maybe Carl walker as well obviously maybe starting to get to sort of declining in terms of his physical abilities aside from those three that come to mind this is a city team that's sort of ready to go for the next two three maybe four years as well like there's sort of a good core there for guardiola to to maintain and build on should he want to continue obviously being at man city but there's there's some good stuff going on for the long term as well.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um, I think he's obviously built this squad. I think we sort of spoke about, um, you know, maybe kind of needing um, a bit of a, a rebuild um, after, you know, we saw the sort of like David Silva, Vincent Company, Sergio Aguero now. All of those kind of players leaving, you'd need like a slight rebuild there. And I think they've pretty much almost achieved that. I think like any team, they do have a few players who, you know, are getting older and more need to sort of, bleed some other guys in Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do in in the transfer market because I almost feel like they've been patient with Fernandinho in the sense that they haven't gone out and tried to get a direct replacement yet because I don't believe they found one yes Manchester City have a lot of money but as a Manchester United fan, a lot of money doesn't guarantee you trophies. So it's about spending it wisely in the transfer market. And I think that's what Manchester City do really well. So I think they'll be cautious. Um, I think, you know, it's it's easy to say you could go out there for sort of a Kane and a Haaland if they're looking for a striker. But I think knowing the pandemic and everything, that might not be possible this summer. Um, you, they might be looking for another sort of option off the bench. Maybe a sort of Danny Ings, someone like that who can sort of be that year stop gap and then they can go and buy someone proper uh, no disrespect to Danny Ings, but someone may be absolutely world class in a year's time. But yeah, I think I have no doubt with Manchester City um, about their recruitment, um, even before Pep Guardiola, that they provide managers with teams and players that they want. Um, and that ultimately will lead to trophies. So I think, yeah, in, in Manchester City is just about sort of kind of tweaking here and there with some of the players coming in and out. But aside from that, there really is no weakness for this team. And I think there's no reason why. At the moment, I can see that um, you know anyone winning the title next year, yes, there might be challenges, um, and of course there will, but it depends on what those teams do in the transfer markets to try and counteract Manchester City, because Manchester City are the benchmark, and that is a is a high mark to, for other teams to try and reach.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned sort of Danny Ings. I, arguably, that's sort of that position City have struggled to fill, that sort of backup striker role, because we've seen... Alvaro Negredo, Wilfred Boney, Edin Dzeko. Uh we've seen a lot of names sort of come through the, the Manchester City doors and then exit them just as swiftly, I guess, because they've not been able to find that strike. And obviously, you know, we assume Gabriel Jesus will be in pole position to make it into the starting lineup come the first game of the next season, but it's not guaranteed. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, yeah i i guess we you know looking i guess the the other thing we officially got and i know this is sort of now looking at the bottom of the table we also now have our three relegated teams officially um they are being obviously fulham uh, west brom and we already knew about Sheffield united so uh, and i think we discussed that one at a time but fulham and west brom officially now part of the trio going back down to the championship um will it it just feels like when Sam Allardyce took that West Brom role, it just felt like a, a task too too difficult for even someone of, of his stature. Um, and likewise with Fulham, it just felt like Scott Parker didn't have the enough resources, I guess, compared to the teams around them to get out of the bottom three. Do you sort of agree with that sort of statement that sort of both teams are, I guess, outgunned and by the, by the, the rivals around them?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think that what you get is like with the danger of these yo-yo clubs, are like Fulham. You're looking at your Fulhams, your West Broms, like your Norridges, people like that. Is that they all seem to be almost too good for the Championship, but not good enough for the Premier League. They just bounce up and down, up and down. I think what Scott Parker did with Fulham, I think he got unlucky, and on a few occasions, like losing wins to draws. I mean, they did that against Arsenal. They conceded in, like, the fourth minute. Uh, losing draws to losses, they conceded to Wolves in, like, the 99th minute. to so lose 1-0. But I think that in the Premier League, you need to be taking these points. You can't be conceding in the 90th, 91st minute. And with West Brom, they're sort of confusing, really, because, I mean, they beat Chelsea 5-2. They beat a chap, what is now an FA Cup, a Champions League finalist like convincingly, convincingly. So, and by the time they just played terribly. It's very hard to say why West Brom was so bad that then could be so good, but I do think they did deserve to go down.
0: Yeah, it does feel like, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think there were there were some sort of missed, I mean, there were, Fulham, I remember, obviously, they. I think they beat Liverpool and Anfield, didn't they? And, West Brom, as you mentioned, got a big result at Stamford Bridge. And sort of those big results weren't followed up by results against sort of the teams they needed to beat, sort of the ones around them in the table. Um it felt like those were big moments and unfortunately it remain just big moments <laughs> from this, this season. Um uh Joe, I mean, any thoughts on 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 these three going going down? And it it, it does feel like if you look at the Premier League as a whole, if you had to pick in hindsight obviously we i remember we made our preseason predictions i think i had west ham 17 or 18th so i got that horrendously wrong I'll, I'll be very clear on that one uh but with hindsight now it does feel like these were the three sort of weakest teams in the division and therefore it does feel that right that they're going down
1: you're not the only one who made terrible predictions, Josh. I think I said Leicester would finish ninth, uh, West Ham would finish 18th, and Brighton would finish 11th. So, to be honest, I'm still the number one loser when it comes to the predictions looking back it's i mean i think we could have predicted this bottom three after just a few weeks sheffield united losing jack o'connell if you want to if you want to see um an explanation of just how much losing that one player hurt them tifo football did a really good video about that a couple of months ago as for chef uh, as for west brom and fulham i think that three of the four of us on that show said that they would be the bottom two the, really the debate was which one would finish 19th which one would finish 20th as someone who really likes slavin Bilic as a human being it makes me really really happy that sam allardyce's perfect record of never getting relegated is over as you say at the beginning it just seemed like a job too much fulham despite their position have actually kind of impressed me this year they haven't been the defensive horror show that they were last time a lot of their signings that came in very late in the window have actually worked a lot better than we expected and i am glad that scott parker has been given more time i do think that you know admittedly poor at the end of their last Premier League campaign, but bringing them up from the championship and getting them relegated, not that closely, but still the best of the relegated teams this year, it makes sense to keep him on because financially speaking, it makes perfect sense for Fulham to keep doing this, get up into the Premier League, get that £150 million a year guaranteed, go back down, get the parachute payments, come back up again. I think Fulham are ironically going to be the new West Brom of the next few years. And I can see Scott Parker actually lasting a long time at that club, although he does need to improve, obviously.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like Fulham are the most equipped to get out of the championship quickly. I mean, of course, it depends on who Sheffield United bring in as their next manager uh, to replace Chris Wilder. And if they can keep some of their players, um, as you said, Jack O'Connell, maybe San- Sanderberg, uh, some of their talented players. And similarly to West Brom, I don't feel like, I don't. I'd be surprised if Mateus Pereira is still West Brom player next season. It doesn't. It does feel like he might go out. Although, you know, Buendia stayed at Norwich and had a phenomenal year. Norwich are back in the Premier League, so maybe he'll see it as that. Um, uh, and yeah, 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 Fulham, as you said, made some really astute signings. Anderson from loan from Lyon's been a really good defender for them. Um, and and obviously, Adam Lutman, uh, terrible penalty against West Ham aside. Uh, has had a pretty decent year as well um, and added some spark to their attack. So, yeah, an interesting bottom three. Um, I don't feel there's a whole... Sam, is there any, any other point you want to say about the bottom three or um, have we sort of gone through it? Are those sort of the three you thought um, were going to go down?
3: Um, well, I was just going to bring up another point, which is, said, um, Scott Parker is going to be around at Fulham for a very long time, but... He's actually impressed to such an extent this season that I think he's in the top two favourites for the Spurs job. So, I mean, I'm not sure whether he deserves it, having just got Fulham relegated. He's got him playing some nice football. He's shown that he's good in the transfer market. He's managed kind of very diverse players very well. So whether he ended that Spurs job or not, I think we could see him up rather than staying at Fulham in the next few years. So I just thought I'd add that in.
0: Joe, I saw a very extreme reaction off camera.
1: <laughs> I just there's two ways this ends up. He goes to Spurs, gets them playing good football, but fails because they're Spurs, and his reputation's ruined. Or he does an Eddie Howe, stay at the same club for way too long, and then his star just burns out anyway. I don't, I don't see it going well in the long run for him. But if if I, was, I'm not saying I'd turn down Spurs because obviously there's a lot of money there, but. I don't know if that really fits. I mean, I'm not questioning that there's a link obviously because he's a British manager and British media love hyping up people like Scott Parker for top six jobs, but yeah, we, we need to, yeah. Who the hell is going to be the next Spurs manager? That's a question for another day.
0: Can I just say if, if Scott Parker was to be Spurs manager of the five previous Spurs managers, three of them will be English central midfielders who had decent careers in Tim Sherwood, Ryan Mason, obviously interim, and Scott Parker, uh, with Jose Mourinho and Mauricio Pochettino, sort of sprinkled in between. Um, So that does feel like the stereotype Tottenham are looking at uh, managerial wise. So who 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 knows? Maybe yeah yeah that's that does feel like sort of what they're going for uh, that kind of energy uh, at at White Hart Lane. Yeah, I don't think there's much to add on on the on the on the bottom three though. Um, I and I I actually I did want to commend Fulham actually quickly because I remember last time in the Premier League they made that switch to bring in Ranieri halfway through the season and obviously it didn't work out, but that was an evident sign that they were sort of really swinging for the fences and trying these this sort of wild approach of bringing in a new manager and hoping a new manager bounce would happen. And I'm glad they sort of stuck it with stuck stuck to Scott Parker and. Even though they didn't work out as much as they hoped, I think in the long run they've gained a lot more. So, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joe, for those watching or listening, has just commented that Deli Ali might be the next Spurs manager, which is sort of the thought I had rushing from my head, or a Harry Winks or something like that. I just didn't say it, but there you go. One, one of them, one, one of those two guys for sure. Um, uh, let's go through. I mean, there was sort of a lot of fixtures going on. Um, throughout the last week. This covers last Saturday up until Thursday, in which the sort of elongated round of Premier League fixtures ended at Old Trafford. Um, and indeed, we went to Old Trafford a lot. Um, and let's go there, because as, as people can see in the ticket, they played three times in the space of, my maths is failing me, five days, six days, something like that. It seemed, They seem to be playing once every two days, sort of like the NBA. Um, uh i mean we've got two united fans here so it beholds me it behooves me to go to them uh let's start with you ben um i I, well, I don't know what your expectations were heading into this obviously the scheduling is a nightmare um and the fact that it's villa leicester and liverpool sort of three you know top half i mean villa's 11th sort of i mean i'll count them as top half sort of like very decent teams in the premier league um obviously Leicester and Liverpool a bit more than decent, but anyway, uh, it was going to be a tough task for for sure. And so, you know, are you surprised at how, are you surprised with all the outcomes that came out of those three games or are you disappointed or what, what, where, where, where are you like with what you expected out of before that week started?
2: If I take it game by game, Aston Villa, I expected that was good performance and a good result. Leicester, I was surprised because I was actually surprised that they only beat us by one goal and really didn't play that much better. And we had literal kids playing um, and people making debuts left, right and centre. So um, I was very surprised. And I think the Leicester game actually pointed out that Manchester United's backup fullbacks are actually very poor or rusty. Um, I think Alex Tellez was responsible for uh, a couple of mistakes and so was Brandon Williams. But and then the Liverpool game, with my Man United hat on, that's always a must win game. It's the biggest game of the season. This one has a lot of less sort of impact. Kind of Manchester United almost kind of guaranteed to come second, if not, it will be third. Liverpool is obviously more in it for them trying to get top four. Um, So it's not maybe got the same fight. And then with the fixture congestion on top of that, but I still think as a Manchester United fan, you need to win that game. If I put my neutral cap on, Liverpool, there is no way in hell Manchester United should have won against Liverpool. And if, if Liverpool lost that game, I think that would be a disgrace. They, they've had or basically two weeks after the fixture got rearranged, um, so a week before the fixture was supposed to be, then a week again after um, to prepare for that Manchester United game. And Manchester United had, I think, a day. So um, I think, yeah, Liverpool should have always won that game. So that was in line with my expectations. Um, I think I've said time and time again on the, this show about how the I've never seen sort of players' mental or physical health kind of asked about or checked in um, by any sort of kind of governing football officials or anyone involved in that. And I think that proves it there. Um, yes, the supporters breaking in, um, you know, whatever you want to think about that, it delayed the game, extremely annoying. It's not the players' fault. Um, and, and that's definitely frustrating for players and the teams. But then, what I don't understand is you punish the players because I think Manchester United aren't playing until Tuesday now. And um, there was, defi- they are definitely one hundred percent able to move these fixes around. There was no, there is no need if you look at the calendar for the next month to make it so they play with a, a day's break pretty much um, between the games. So it just absolutely baffles me because I just think it's not healthy. Yes, you ask a football player if they want to play, and they will say yes, I do want to play. But then again that is still mentally and physically exhausting. I don't think you can do that to professional athletes. I don't think it's fair. Um, And I think they punished the players for maybe some of the supporters' mistakes Um, because, you know, whatever you feel about the support, yes, it might be needed that you need to protest. Um, But then again, obviously breaking into somewhere that is criminal act. So I think, it. yeah, it was a real shame and I was really shocked and actually quite saddened me that these players have to um, play in this fixture congestion because I don't think it's really on. It's not their fault. I think they're being made to to punish for that. However, saying that in a sort of a concluding sense, the fact that Manchester United have been so, I think, pretty decent um, for the whole course of the season after that rough start. They've been able to get themselves ahead. I think they probably will get second um, now. And I think they'd wrapped it up before. I'm just sort of happy and relieved that they have so good in sort of the first part of the season that this these last two results won't sort of affect us in any way possible. Um, But yeah, so... Kind of overall, and um, just satisfies. It is what it is. Doesn't hurt too much because um, I think, yeah, really, it's it's what's expected. And um, Leicester and Liverpool definitely should have won those games.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was quite the news when it, the Premier League sort of fixture scheduling got announced. I remember, and me speaking as an avid fantasy Premier League player, I was sort of thrown into a certain mood when Man United had a triple game week. Uh, unprecedented triple game week, uh, and I risked. And for those who who don't know, I went without a single Man United player and still got a decent points tally. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll take it. But um, but I was worried. Uh, uh, but anyway, that's another pod. Um, yeah, it was it was it was gonna be uh, it was gonna be interesting to see how Solskjaer what games he would prioritize and also you know you had the roma game on the thursday as well so you know there was rome on thursday villa on sunday uh what's that leicester tuesday liverpool thursday um and it was interesting to see how the squad was rotated throughout and sort of which games were prioritized um obviously the leicester game was not uh but the villa game was and suddenly the roma game also to an extent and 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 obviously liverpool as well um will were you did they did this run of games sort of expose any weak like I mean I obviously as a United fan you're you're sort of fully aware of their strengths and weaknesses but did they, this run of games sort of expose anything new to you or was it sort of confirm the sort of things about this team that you knew like you know a, a greater squad bench is going to be needed um, and invested in in the summer for instance or something or some other positions like that?
4: Um, yeah, I think. These games are like unprecedented. You were never expecting to see a Premier League team have to play three games in five days. And the fact that some people are complaining about the fact that we rotated us or rotated our first eleven against Leicester is ridiculous. It's not. You can't expect um, our first team to have to play three games. Like play a game on Sunday, play a game on like Tuesday, play a game on Thursday, especially against the caliber of opposition. That we would have faced. I mean, Leicester a uh, top four, Liverpool are resurging. They could potentially get top four by the end of the season. And I think that if you're complaining about us rotating our squad, I mean, it's just an agenda as opposed to any like reason logic as to whether it exposed any new weaknesses. I do think possibly exposed that Harry Maguire might actually be a bit more useful to the defence a lot of people give him credit for because our defending against Liverpool was terrible, to be honest. Obviously, it's the biggest game of the season. This one has been, this one matters a bit less than normal. But to concede four goals at home at Old Trafford and lose there in the league for the first time in what I think it was, eight years, is never wrong. We should never be doing that. And I think that we really do need to see Harry Maguire back for the Europa League final. Otherwise, we might have a few more problems than we think we're going to have. I
0: mean, it's quite damning when the defender that comes out with the most credit from Old Trafford for Man United Liverpool is Nat Phillips, who was Liverpool's fifth, sixth choice at the start of the season. It's quite damning that he comes out uh, with like, as, as the biggest star performer of the defensive players. Um. um but yeah, I mean, we'll, I, I'll, I'll get to you two next on the on the protest in a sec. I did want to ask Sam. Uh, you know there's uh, someone you know is, who follows the, the sport quite closely and obviously the scheduling has sort of backed the leagues and 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 calendar like it, it's it's become obviously this very crowded calendar at the moment and obviously the premier league is sort of racing against time to get this all done before the euros do you think anything could have been done um are you sort of sympathetic to what man united had i mean the three games that they had to do or do you feel like because obviously they are you know they're a team with li- so close to limitless sort of resources that they could have dealt with the three games as well as they did and it would have been okay
3: um i think to be honest i think it was kind of okay to have these three games as it was i mean i'm sure the premier league could have done it better I'm sure they could have spread spread them out more evenly but at the same time uh, ben mentioned that they're professional footballers, and yes, that means that you have to rest them at certain points, but they are also professional athletes. If there's anyone that should be able to manage that amount of games in that amount of time, it should be professional footballers. And the reason for this fixture congestion was the Glazers and the terrible amount of debt that the Glazers have put the club in and the terrible way that the Glazers have managed the club over the past few years. So I think it's kind of almost just deserves for and it's the the protesters got what they wanted effectively they got a disruption to the calendar they got the tv companies annoyed and i effectively think yes there was fixing yes congestion yes it was unfair on the players but it was kind of the fair result of uh of a protest to effectively tell the glazers to get out of the club which they definitely should and Hopefully it sets an example for other other fans of other clubs to do similar things in order to get the money grabs who simply want to put money in their pockets out of the clubs and give the game back to the fans. Sorry, that was a bit of a rambling response, but I hope it answers your questions.
0: No, that's fine. That's fine. Um I mean that sort of leads me to asking I'll ask I'll start with Ben and then I'll ask Will. I sort of want to ask you about the same question. Um Obviously, <laughs> yes, since the Super League sort of fallout, since the announcement that Ed Woodward has, was going to depart, obviously attention has has, has turned to those above him uh, being uh, the Glazers. Um, and there's obviously been a fair number of protests that obviously forced the Liverpool game to be postponed in the first place. Um, yeah, you, you know, United fans resorting to, you know, breaking into the stadium, um, obviously, and obviously, yeah, T- taking to the streets outside the stadium to to vocalize their their sort of their concerns and and all that kind of stuff um let me i'll ask ben first and then i'll turn it to you will do these i mean just take us just give us a perspective of being a united fan do these are these sort of concerns and worries about the glazers is that sort of universally shared by the entire fan base like and I mean do you agree with sort of how these protests were, were done just give us a, just yeah just give us a perspective of, of how you felt they were done I'll start with Ben and I'll go to Will.
2: Yeah I, I don't know a single Manchester United fan who likes the Glazers um, like Sam said they literally um, pretty much put all of their debt on the club and just take money out of it every year. So um, I think, yeah, they need to be out of, and I think it's not just Manchester United, they need to be out of our league, they need to be out of our country. Um, if they can, hopefully it will be maybe a bit of a domino effect, start getting these other, um, some of these other owners out of out of their clubs as well. Regarding the vocalising, the fans vocalising and you know, giving their opinion, of course that's needed. I think it always is that that's, it's fair, everyone has a right to protest. Um, breaking into the stadium it's a wee one because I think um, I sort of sit on the fence with that one because I think it's fine if that's if that's what what's necessary if you need to go to uh, the glazes are unfazed by a lot so I think you do need to sort of take it to the next level and if that is the next level however there obviously is no excuse for sort of criminal acts and sort of some vandalism that went on when throwing things at tv pundits as well that's inexcusable um I think no one wants to see violence and I think um sort of uh, the coverage of the game that actually got canceled, I think sort of uh, Roy Keane and Michael Richards were so sort of very, very clear on this, that um, yes, I think the protests are necessary, but there's always one or two idiots who come there and then just, just take things too far. Um, so I think regarding that, the people who obviously take them too far um, are in sort of a different section in my mind of the people who've done stuff wrong. However, I, I think it's needed. Um, do I think it's gonna work? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I think they're, they're pretty unfazed. They're They're not involved in the club at all. I, I honestly don't think they care. If they start losing money and it, or Manchester United starts becoming sort of a, a declining asset for the Glazers, that's when they'll consider it. I think they will only consider it financially because that's how they only consider everything they're not gonna they don't care if the fans are upset with them they they don't they really don't care because they've shown they don't care about the footballing side of it they only care about the financial so in that sense i think the only thing that manchester united fans could really do is to hurt the finances and i think that is literally not turn up do i think that's going to happen that's very hard um very hard to make sure that doesn't happen that's you know not buying kits not buying any merchandise, not turning up to any games when fans are open. And I think that, that that's really hard to do. And I think it's really hard to achieve, but I, I just cannot see how the Glazers would be phased. And that that leaves me, you know, I, I'm here in despair and it upsets me to say that, but the way they are, they're ruthless businessmen and they do not care about anything unless we start taking money out of their pockets.
0: Yeah. And, uh, Will, I mean, same question, I guess, for you, but also with with this added one: is there anything? I mean, obviously, feel obviously as, as Ben has done, share your perspective on on the protests and, and the glazes and stuff. But also with this question: is there anything? Is the relationship, I guess, beyond repair? Is it like non-salvageable at this point? Um, yeah, feel free to answer that question amongst some sort of your thoughts on on everything that's gone on.
4: So I'll start with protests. I think what they did. At Old Trafford was, I think I'm going to disagree with Benno. I think breaking into Old Trafford was fine, but as soon as it devolved into violence, that's why it should have. Like that's why it wasn't fine. I think getting in there really sends a message that the the club belongs to the um the. I think I think Gary Neville said it best that the club, the Glazers are a like. Shareholder, not a shareholder, but they don't own the club. The club belongs to the fans, and they're just the ones that are tiding it over for the fans. They should be doing that, but they're not. But I do think that when violence came in, I think they were throwing like objects at the police at the pundits. Obviously, that's when it probably went too far. I don't think we've ever had a relationship with the Glazers. I think since they took over in two thousand and five, it became very quick to see that. The Glazers didn't care about like, the footballing side of it. They only cared about making money, the financial side. And I think in the last few years, they've sort of gotten away with it. I think the fans have sort of turned their focus more on the managers. Obviously, we had David Moyes in the first year after first left, who probably should have been given a few more years, but wasn't. Then we had Louis van Gaal. He was initially quite a good manager, possibly. But then he was obviously... um playing boring football, which we're not about. So we fired him after we won the FA Cup final and bought in Mourinho. Mourinho was probably one of the high points, especially in 2017, when we won the Europa League, the League Cup, Community Shield, and things like that. But then, obviously, we fired him again. And then we have got into Ole. And I think Ole is part of the rebuilding structure that we're going through. And now that Woodward is leaving, and we're linked with Edwin van as our as an actual director of football, as opposed to just some sort of, like, corporate overseer of the club so the Glazers don't actually have to get involved with in managing anything, then we might see a change. I just don't want it to come at the expense of allowing the Glazers to remain at the club. I do, like, I'm, like, mostly united if I want them out. I want an owner that able to, that puts money into the club rather than taking money out of the club. I think I saw a table that said, like, every, every owner except, like, two had taken and put money into the club and like I think the two were Burnley, who uh, a few million had been taken out, and us, who over a hundred and fifty million pounds had been taken out of the club. Like, and that's money that can be spent on transfers. That's money that can be spent on facilities and things like that. And it just really, you need a owner that actually backs the club. You see it with Chelsea. Obviously, they've got quite a ruthless manager model that like if you don't perform, you're fired. But They get results through that, and that is their way of doing things. So I think we do need to see the glazes out of the club. And I think that if that can happen, we can really return to how we were in the Ferguson time, consistently challenging for all the trophies, consistently doing well in the Champions League, consistently doing well in the Premier League. And I want to see that turning because obviously that's why every football fan wants to win trophies for their club
0: uh i just got i mean you, you've you've obviously articulated you as a united fan and that's it's it, it's all i mean it's all it's all fair uh all the criticism at the moment i do want to ask you two one 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 question the same question um and i'm not and let me let me put this into context carefully i don't feel that football fans are easily satisfied with a spending spree in the summer i'm not saying that but to an extent it might you know take attention away from from the the deeper issues going on at the club um so i'll just put that as context obviously united have been linked again with Jadon sancho um they've been linked with an, a new center back be it paul T- torres or jules kunde or someone from from seemingly from spain apparently um would sort of a big spending spree sort of big squad investment with that Move. Would that change your opinion on them at all, or is that just all smoke and mirrors? Ben, ask you that first. I
2: I don't think it, it wouldn't change my opinion on them, but it like what Will said. It, the, I see the glazers as separate to this new building process and structure that that okay. we're going for, and I think that I I still want to see us building through this structure with or without the glazers, um, but I think. It's happened so many times now, This, we, this can't fault. if it happens, it can't fool us.
0: Will, same thing. Um, would a spending spree change your opinion or are you able to, as Ben is, keep those things sort of separate?
4: Well, no, I just think it's because the Glazers are so independent of the club at the moment that if we do get a spending spree, especially if it's a targeted one, if we get what we need, if we get a new CDM, a new centre-back, a new winger, game in Sancho so we can move like Greenwood into a more central role, then it might placate some fans, but it really shouldn't because the Glazers are so independent of the club that it doesn't matter what we do, like what is spent because it's so obvious that they're just trying to spend it just because they're trying to like cause this like anger to die down. But as long as it's keeping up and their revenue is impacted, then we might see a chance of the Glazers leaving the club
0: fair enough yeah um i think that's yeah we i mean you two obviously have covered it pretty well i don't think there's anything more to add on that uh final th- uh, we have one final news story and ben i know you need to go so i'm gonna ask you this i'm gonna let you open the dialogue on this one uh it's a fun one um well maybe for you maybe for you both as he's been previously employed by your club uh jose Mourinho's roma um thoughts if any
2: what? I I feel for Joe a little bit. Um I think everyone knows what's going to happen. Uh, it, it could be a good move though. I I don't know. It it was quite odd to see him jump straight back in. That makes me feel like he's he's got a plan. Uh to some extent for him to jump straight back in. However, I I do feel the same thing happens with Jose all the time. I, this is his last shot. I, I think if if he if he does a massive a really poor job here then I think he's as good as done um so yeah it'll be interesting to see what players he gets I think I saw a rumor about potentially David De Gea uh going from from us potentially on loan or or as a fee um and then I know we were talking off there before about potential other Premier League players he's already scouted um who he'll be bringing over but it's a uh, it's a mixed. It can it can be mixed with Jose Mourinho. You can win some things, and and it can be absolutely great. But that third season, or with Spurs, that second season is is absolutely awful. And um, I don't think um, I've, I've felt as much negativity um, from the players or a group a group of sort of athletes as I have uh, when Jose was at Manchester United in his third season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, and yeah, good. I, I, best of luck to him. I, I think you know Jose Mourinho is a bit of a charmer. He does, he has previously charmed sort of the media, um, and definitely in Spurs, I think he sort of became more active on social media, and that did actually liken a lot of people um, to him. So I think, yeah, I think you, I'd like to see Jose Mourinho do well. He's obviously a talented coach. You don't win and do what he's done in the game without being a talented coach. So I want to see Jose Mourinho do well, but I think. You sort of have to, and and Joe will know this as a Roma fan. You 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 know it's only a two year thing. It's not going to be beyond two years, um, and if it is, it will be two years and two months. Um, it won't be any longer than that because Jose Mourinho loses the dressing room in the third season, and that is a guarantee.
0: Wise advice, and with that, Ben, we need to let you, we need to let you go. Thanks for coming on, and thanks for ending on. <laughs> On on feedback corner uh for Josie Mourinho and for, for Roma fans. Uh we'll catch you in a bit. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. So yeah, that's Ben. And we'll bring back Sam and Joe once I work this out. There we go. And uh uh Sam, I'll cut it to you because I know Joe will have a lot of thoughts. Joe, please keep it brief. Um uh but yeah, Sam, um it's where 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 does Josie Mourinho for you sit in sort of the standing of managers at the moment like where 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 is he in your opinion at the moment
3: his his sort of standing at the moment um I think his standing has fallen quite drastically over the last few years but I must admit I do love Jose Mourinho I mean that Spurs documentary just showed him showed his character showed how funny he is showed how good of a man manager he can be and that's why I think that this um this kind of appointment by Roma could be a match made in heaven almost I think it's very reminiscent of um when he went to Inter Milan and even possibly when he went to Porto as well I watched Roma in their two legs against Ajax and I'm sorry to say Joe but you are absolutely terrible um you've got very few players who offer anything special I think I mean you've got a decent defense and you've got a aging striker up front in Edin Dzeko but beyond that I can't really see much going for you so I think Mourinho could if he if he brings back kind of the spirit of the kind of 2005 Mourinho I think he could be the perfect appointment I think he'll make the right signings and I think he could get Roma back to the top of Italian football where you haven't been for a few years
0: all right uh yes that that it, it does feel like his his spell his recent spells in English football have definitely affected his stock now Joe before you go uh i set you off and please keep it brief um i have googled roma transfer just now uh and just looked at a sur- just on the articles section and just seen what names have been linked here are the names that come up on the first two pages of the site and
1: i do a thumbs up or a thumbs down for whether or not i approve of them for whatever reason
0: yes yeah, just to sure. save time go okay sergio romero All Right. eric dyer uh he is a good he is a decent one uh and uh, i mean little keeper uh mike mainan mainan i probably pronounced it wrong
1: it's not my choice but i would be happy if it happened
0: that's a good one i'll take i would yeah that's a good one uh david De Gea
1: because of okay. wages not because he's a bad player right right okay
0: uh kurt zuma
1: Not really needed, but he's a good player.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, Renanto Sanchez.
1: I still can't work out an answer for this one. I've
0: no idea. Right. Uh, Angelo Ogbonna. Okay. Uh, Andrea Bellotti. Not
1: my first choice, but yeah, of course.
0: And finally, uh, 43 year old uh, Gen Luigi Buffon.
1: It's great. Replace 39-year-old Antonio Morante with 43-year-old Buffon. Yeah, why not?
0: There you go. Oh, I'll add Nemanja Matic. I'll just throw that name in as well.
1: Uh, I think it's going to happen. That's one of the ones I can actually believe will happen, but I don't okay. necessarily want it to.
0: Well, that was a fun game we just created on the spot. But uh, now I give you, and this will be the last question I ask as a Raw Sport host. But feel free to answer the question about your thoughts on Jose Mourinho at your your favourite club Roma.
1: It's you know what, Josh. I'm going to try and keep this as brief as possible, and I think it is incredibly fitting on what might well be my last ever for football appearance on Raw Sport that we finally get to talk about my club. Although, admittedly, to laugh at it. Um, it's. I think what we need to bear in mind with a lot of these transfer links is how quietly the Friedkin Group, the new American owners of the club, operate. Um, the the link in terms of new manager has been Maurizio Sarri or Max Allegri, which was never going to happen. Uh, but specifically Sarri for month after month after month, and then Mourinho just comes in out of nowhere. The same was true of uh, player transfers back wh- way back when. So. The truth is that you can report on these things as much as you like. The Friedkins don't really announce these things. So chances are it'll be something completely different. Uh, may well be some of the players that within the Italian domestic system that I prefer. So Juan Musso in goal from Udinese, Dujan Vlahovic from Fiorentina, who's probably out of our price range. When this happened, my immediate response, you'll be happy that I can keep this short, Josh. I'm not actually allowed to say what I said because it was massive bilingual swearing. Um After having spoken to our former station manager and Liverpool slash Betis fan, Luke Edwards, I can understand it a bit more. Um, A large amount of Roma's issues are mental, um, a lack of a winning mentality, no trophies in over 10 years now, um, barely any trophies since I started supporting the club, so this guy started the curse. Um, Injury crises, which have gone on through so many different managers, players getting paid, not crazy wages, but more than we should be paying them, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think on paper this could work incredibly well. Um, I, I, despite the fact he's a massive stylistic change from Tiago P- uh, from Paulo Fonseca, our outgoing also Portuguese manager. If our general manager Tiago Pinto, ex-Benfica, wants Mourinho in, then I'm willing to support that. If the new owners want Mourinho in, I'm willing to support that. If the players, like my beloved Nicolas Agnolo and others, are excited about Mourinho coming in, then I'm willing to give him a chance. The problem is, and I've said this before and I will say it again, Mourinho's patterns of success in the past at Chelsea, Real Madrid, Porto, and actually Manchester United as well, considering the quality of their squads, they happened at elite-level football clubs. AS Roma, despite their name, are not an elite football club and have not been for approaching 20 years. This, The Spurs team is full of massive bottle jobs with a mentality problem that goes back decades. I accept that but it's not like he's taking over some Galactico side. I really do fear for what this could hap- What this could do to the club long-term. And the fact he's being paid more than twice what Paolo Fonseca has been paid the last couple of years really bothers me. So, yeah, I am very, very, very mixed on this appointment, but um, it's going to be fun. A
0: couple of thoughts there. Um, first of all, his previous time in Italy will surely be of some encouragement, maybe. Uh, his it was 10 star. years ago that is true i'm sorry yeah.
1: italian football has changed massively since yeah that.
0: okay fair enough that caveat uh second of all i did not expect to give you the match like the gasoline that is the tottenham fan base and put that on fire as you as you head for that that exit door uh but yeah that is a pretty fitting way for me to sign off uh, and we're gonna do this handover i guess on air uh so i just want to say before i give it to will um and i'm gonna put this because i'm egotistic enough i'm just gonna put this on me uh i just want to say briefly uh i'll keep this very brief thank you to everyone all the guests that have come on this show of the past year uh have come on to youtube for the past year because i know that's not our usual style of operations but we've had to switch things around um and a big thank you to all our interviewees as well the 11 i think we've done 11 interviews um starting with chris williams all the way to katie smith at the bbc sport um and obviously nathan ferguson in, uh, who's now at crystal palace and including him including um daniel taylor of the athletic ed arons of the guardian we've, we've it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to, to talk to them and all the other interviews we've had um and this has been uh yeah it's been a great i've had it i've loved being here uh and um i'm doing this and yeah i can't wait to see what will does and to sign off there uh i will now pass it back to him so uh will i'll here you go you had a sport thank you
4: um yeah so i guess we'll start with some of the fixtures for the next um for next week really sort of End of the Premier League, but we've got the big game this weekend. In fact, it's starting in an hour from when we're recording this. we got the FA Cup between Leicester and Chelsea. Um, I'll come to you, Josh, first. Obviously, Leicester, it seems that um, they've had a bit of a cuss in this cup. They've lost their last four finals, and they, in the fifth one now, haven't been in the final since 1969. Do you think that will be weighing on their minds a bit when it comes to walking out at Wembley?
0: um yeah well I, I this leicester team is very different i feel like compared to any sort of you know i remember when i think it was stoke went got to the fa cup final and then got promptly smacked by by man city um i i feel like this leicester team carries a very different mentality obviously brendan rogers is rival has has got a lot to do with that they've also got i think cola torres on their backroom staff and obviously he's won a fair number of trophies in his time so that sort of winning mentality that they have plus you know they're not a they're not really a young team obviously they've got players who've won a premier league title in their dressing room so i think they uh they are gonna see this as a big opportunity for them um and you know, Leicester have always sort of been, well, not always. Recently, have been that team where it's like, you know, top four and a, and a cup trophy would be a very successful year for them. That's sort of been the standard, and I'm sure they'll see this as an opportunity to to get that to get that monkey off off their back. And um, yeah, I, I I don't think they'll have any fear. Um, obviously, against Chelsea, I think they have a decent record in the league, in the league as well. I think they drew two two at Stanford Bridge earlier this season, or maybe it was last season. I can't remember. Um, so yeah, I I and you know I think they I think they have a decent shot of doing this, um, and y- y- you know I think they they will be they will have a yeah I actually am pretty optimistic for what they're they're gonna do.
4: Um, yeah, I mean it's hard to say really. Leicester sort of um, like had their mid-season uh, sort of slump, but now they seem to be coming back. I'll come to you next, Joe. By controls like Chelsea, they were in the final last year. They last won it in 2018. This seems to be almost their cup, you know, like City have uh, the league cup. Do you think that they'll be more confident this time against Arsenal? Obviously, I think most people thought they were going to beat Arsenal, but then Arsenal won 2-1. So do you think they'll want to re-sort the Demons last year?
1: it's it's funny that you mentioned arsenal um just just before going into this because obviously arsenal's big sa- uh, saving grace over the last few years has been their fa cup success uh, when wenger out was being called for about four years at the risk of offending two massive premier league fan bases over the course of about five minutes um i think it's very funny that chelsea's trophy success has basically inherited what arsenal were trying to do for the last few years and that the fa cup has become their talisman of choice um it's hard to know really going into this game. I think, first of all, I just need to point out that Leicester City are the only team in the Premier League that thinks charging people 14 95 each to watch a Premier League game from home um, was a bad idea. So they're basically English football's Red Cross at this point. Also, Chelsea were prepared to sell English football under the bus at the first opportunity and then bottle it. So thanks for that. Needless to say, I won't be supporting them. I honestly, if I was Chelsea, I'd be afraid going into this game. Chelsea do very well against teams that attack, attack, attack. Leicester don't really do that. We seem to have had this idea over the last few years of Leicester as this attack-heavy, ca- countering side. First of all, being a counter-attacking team and being seen as offensive is, is kind of a double positive that only seems to exist in this country. If you give people a team in Europe and say that they're counter-attacking, they're immediately seen as defensive or ultra-Brexit, which considering where they're from doesn't really work. But Leicester, the reason they're so effective and why they've been so effective this year is that they are incisive. Players like Jamie Vardy and, amazingly, Kalechi Nacho recently in front of goal, they're just great finishers. And you know, it was always the debate a few years ago, Harry Kane versus Jamie Vardy. There's no question that Kane's the better striker, but in terms of finishing, Jamie Vardy has always had that. And injuries or not, Leicester do have a very effective coach cohesive starting 11 Um, i'm a big fan of timothy castagna as well and he could cause chelsea a lot of problems yeah chelsea have you know a lot of reasons to be confident going into this game the difference between you know them under tuchel and the mess that they were at the back under frank lampard is huge and leicester certainly won't be able to have as much of a Vardy party behind that back line now as they would have done in november december but they're one of the teams that if i was thomas tuchel i would be most worried about facing honestly there are teams that in the traditional top six, that I would be far less afraid of than going against this Leicester City.
4: Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I'll come to you next, Sam. Obviously, we've got this game today, but they play again on Tuesday and they're both going for a, a Champions League spot. Do you think that that Brit- it comes into like the equation? you think that they might have one eye on the Tuesday's game and securing just Champions League football? rather than possibly going for a trophy?
3: Um, in a way, they will, um, will I think, yes. But it is the FA Cup final. It's the competition competition in, in world football, even. It goes back 120 years. It's silverware, something that Leicester, apart from the Premier League, haven't really been able to get in in their history, even. So I think they will be focusing on this game, first and foremost. Both teams will going at it. I mean, there are 20,000 fans in the stadium for the first time in however long a year, I think. And that alone will be a motivation to drive both teams on. So I'm really looking forward to the game. I think it'll be a really good clash. And yes, i have one eye on, on Tuesday night, I think it is, but this will be their main priority. Yep. So obviously, as you're listening to this, probably
4: seen a result now, so I'm looking forward to this next bit when we all get it completely wrong. But I'll come to each of you um, individually. What do you think the score prediction will be and who do you think will win the uh, FA Cup? I'll come to you, Josh, first.
0: Oh, boy. Uh, uh, as, as Joe knows, this show and it, and predictions have a terrible history together. Um, uh, oh, boy. I'm gonna say 3-2 Leicester. I just feel like there's a goal fest in here. Um, I'm particularly keen to see Jamie Vardy versus Thiago Silva if that if Thiago Silva starts because, um, you know, you've a dynamic, very quick mid thirty year old striker against a not so quick but defensive warrior mid thirties centre back, um, and obviously both with very different footballing backgrounds. One has won nearly every trophy there is to win in club in in, in football, and one was playing non league in his mid twenties. So that's a fascinating sort of narrative um and yeah i mean i i do feel like the key battle for me and I, the one i'm interested in is wilfred and dd versus mason mount I, I, assuming those two guys start um i really like wilfred and dd i really feel he's a very 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 good cog and a sort of player that all top teams need someone of that sort of profile and of that skill set um and obviously angolo kante has moved on has evolved his game a bit more than that then that sort of he was he was sort of the original role that indeed he played but now it's sort of evolved from that and i feel that indeed he's gonna have it's gonna be a big job for him but he's gonna have a good show of it and um and yeah but i know there's some team news and maybe you or you want to inform us of that before i change my mind predictions but i'm gonna say 3-2 Vesta. <laughs>
4: Okay, yeah, as we've um, as we're recording, the team just come out. So, uh, Leicester's team is Michael Castagna, Soyentu, Evan Safana, Thomas, and Didi, Telemans Perez, Ian Acho, and Vardy. Um, I'll just wait on Chelsea's news quickly, but I guess we'll go to Sam quickly. What do you think of that Leicester lineup?
3: Um, I think that Leicester lineup looks very strong, Will. I mean, as Joe was mentioning, you've got two. Supreme finishers up front in Ihanacho Ihe- Ihe- and Vardy Ihanacho has been on incredible form. You've got players in the midfield like Undidi, he's a rock who can break up break up uh, Chelsea's play just as Kante can for Chelsea. And you've got Tielymonds who can um, can play the passes, can create the chances for Ihanacho and Vardy And then at the back, you've got Chu and um, Fanner alongside the experienced Johnny Evans. Three centre-halves who Sunchu and Fafana especially have really shown themselves to be really top-level, world-class centre-halves this season. And yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game. I think the Chelsea lineup has been announced as well. And that Mason Mount-Timothy Castagna match-up, I think, could be where the game is decided with um, Z- uh, Hakim Ziyech on the other side as well. I think he could be a difference-maker in this game. I'm an Ajax fan, so he's someone that I've watched a lot over the past few years and in big games he steps up and I reckon this will be his day. I think he's gonna get a goal and I think Chelsea will come out on top ultimately despite the strength of Leicester's lineup.
4: Yep. Abs you mentioned the Chelsea lineups also come out and we see uh Asper Laqueta, Thiago Silva, uh, Rudiger, James, Kante, Jorginho, Alonso, Ziyech, Werner and Al- um I guess I'll come to you, Joe. What do you think of that um Chelsea lineup?
1: It's a lineup that you could never have expected uh, before Thomas Tuchel came into it. For, first of all, I mean, I think for the fact that Kepa Arisa Balaga is starting in and of itself is a big call. I know that um, Tuchel has been trying to basically cover Chelsea's embarrassing investment into him, starting him in as many games as they can feasibly get away with, but. Yeah, that signing really hasn't worked out, and in big games like this, he has proven before that he just there are mental lapses of a of, of high margin. Um, Marcus Alonso at left wing back as well. A few months ago, you would have said he was nowhere near this team, probably the third choice left back. Now he's ahead of Ben Chilwell and Emerson Palmieri, which on both counts I just think is incredible, and he actually deserves it on recent form. I really struggle predicting this game. I it can't be overstated just how much this means to Leicester fans um Ed Farah a former program controller and head of sport himself is a diehard Leicester fan and even after winning the Premier League the long-term project that you know started with Claude Puel failed started with Brendan Rodgers what they want is a trophy it doesn't matter if it's another Premier League they want an FA Cup they would have wanted a League Cup his reasoning for sacking Claude Puel was rotating against Manchester City in a Carabao Cup semi-final that's how much that fan base care about trophies like this because they're not a traditional top 6 club however i just don't trust brendan rodgers as great as he's been at leicester city i'm sure he's made massive development since those those years at liverpool but in a moment like this he needs to, this ha- this is one of his most important games ever without a question and the quality of that chelsea team and squad behind it plus how defensively adept Thomas Tuchel is. I'm going to say Leicester 1-0 because that's what I want to happen. I want it to be an impressive show of defensive football. I want Wesley Fofana to be man of the match. He's in my Premier League team of the season. I think he's brilliant. But this is going to be bloody difficult for Leicester City.
4: Okay, so 1-0 Leicester. Sam, do you want to give a score? I know you said you think Chelsea will come on top.
3: I'm thinking it's going to be an exciting game. Two good teams and Chelsea are going to come out on top 3-1 with Ziyech to get a couple. OK, I'll,
4: I may as well give my own prediction. I think 2-1 Leicester. I think Leicester will just be able to edge it over Chelsea, especially with some finishing which we've seen from the Chelsea front line. Right, so obviously now there's not just the FA Cup, but there's um, Premier League fixtures as well. So we've got a few uh, good games. We've obviously had Newcastle, Man City. We've had Burnley Leeds in the last hour, Leeds winning four nil. And but we'll come to one of the big, probably the biggest game of the um, weekend, featuring the other Champions League contender in uh, West Brom Liverpool. So obviously, I'll come to uh, Joe first. Uh, the reverse fixture for this game was a draw between two sides. Do you think that might have? an effect on how uh, Liverpool and West Brom approach this game.
1: As, as I'm becoming something of a broken record this year, it's really difficult to call anything involving Liverpool, considering that they're playing effectively League One centre-backs all season. Um, so I, I really can't put anything re- reliable going into this game. On the one hand, you could say that a West Brom team guaranteed to go down, you know, all the pressures off. Just go out there and do what you can. But on the other hand, they also haven't really got a huge amount to play for. I want to say Liverpool have the mental strength to come through in a game that they absolutely need to win, but on so many occasions this year, they've proven that they really don't do that. I don't want to quote some of the idiots that appear on BT Sport, but they haven't really been great champions mentally. I know they've had massive mitigating circumstances against them, but in so many areas, it's been a mental deficiency from Liverpool, and you'd actually see it after they won the Premier League title last year, um, as early as that game against Watford before they even secured the title, that was. So I don't think it's guaranteed that Liverpool win this game, but they, they really should. I mean, I, I, on, on paper, those teams are absolutely nowhere, not even close. Like West Brom are not a Premier League quality team, and Liverpool are only in the position they are because of injuries, and yet I don't feel confident that this is going to be an easy game for Liverpool. Sorry, Josh, but yeah...
4: Okay, I guess I'll come to you, Josh, next. Do you think, I mean, you're obviously, I mean, I don't know if you're a Liverpool fan, but Liverpool obviously are going for Champions League football. Do you think that added pressure might play a role, especially against a team that obviously, as Joe said, has nothing to lose?
1: i I can't believe you've done this
0: (laughs) (laughs) can i say this is the first time i've been asked about liverpool in like what 14 15 months and i actually have to have an opinion about it now um which is which is fascinating and fun for me um and sort of there's there's worry you can hear that you can hear it in my voice the podcast listeners can definitely hear there's worry in my voice um I just had because I saw Ozan Kabak, obviously he didn't play against United and I've just I've got the injury table in front of me. It it doesn't I don't think he'll be fit, which you know, obviously it will mean Nat Phillips and Rhys Williams are sort of crusaders at the back will probably play. Um and against Sam Allardyce's team, whose MO is essentially to get the ball into the box as quick whenever you can, as quickly as you can, however you can. Uh, that's going to be a bit of a, that's, that's a little bit of a worry. Although Phillips and Williams are sort of, I guess, equipped, I guess, sort of equipped to do, to do, deal with crosses in the box. It's when they're with the ball is a bit of a, that's when it gets a bit tricky. Um, yeah, there, there, there is pressure obviously to back up, you know, it will, it will feel like a bat. it'll feel like a very, I don't think it'll feel like a great week if we manage to beat Man United, who have obviously played three games in six, three games in six days and us being the last one at the end of the run. And then to then not beat West Brom, that would just deflate any sort of enthusiasm that there is. And obviously uh, we talked about Chelsea-Vester. That's happening uh, later on, on, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday. That's obviously, you know, you ex- if <laughs> hoping that they either stalemate or one beats the other, then this game, getting points at this game is going to be huge. So, yeah, there's definitely... Uh, pressure um i think besides the back two obviously we've worked out a bit of formula with fabinho and tiago together in central mid, midfield which works because tiago doesn't have to do all the defensive stuff that he sort of had to do when fabinho was dropped back and in, sent in, in as a center back um um and yeah it'll be interesting to see if mo salah is rested that's the one thing i'd be curious to see because obviously saliamane did not start at old trafford i presume he'll start on sunday and one of Jota, Firmino, Salah will probably be rested, um, so that'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye out. But yeah, it's I I do feel West Brom might they they will I feel cause problems because they're sort of as I said their mo is to get the ball into the box as frequently as possible, however like however they can, and you know it'll be interesting to see how Liverpool's defense sort of sort of deals with that. Um, but equally speaking, Liverpool should have the quality to get it done. So um, I tend to be one of the more p- pessimistic Liverpool fans out there. So that you can, if the trepidation, trepidation in my voice probably shouldn't be there, but you know, it, it, it is. I mean,
4: yeah, I mean, I'll carbon to you again because obviously you're the Liverpool fan here. What do you think has been the change in the last like month or so? Because obviously, in the first half of this year like 2021 you could not win at home I mean like winning away it'd be very difficult as well so why do you think it's suddenly switched up in the last few weeks and months uh
0: I think the Fabinho Tiago, that oh, Fabinho moving from centre back to centre midfield has obviously done a lot um it's freed up Tiago to do the things Tiago does best you know at, at Bayern Munich Tiago played alongside uh Kimmich or when david alaba at times at central midfield it's because those two guys did did dirty work plus in quotations and thiago was able to do the things thiago does best so i think that's helped um i think obviously diogo jota returning adds more unpredictability to our attack um and i think have now having sort of a free-flowing front three again rejuvenated it seems like as well that obviously Causes the panic and terror that a lot of Liverpool fans would have hoped for from that quartet, or maybe three of that quartet every time they're on the pitch. Um, And I think just more game time for Williams and Phillips, and more reg, well, Williams less so. I think Phillips has certainly benefited from sort of regular game time and sort of getting to grips with the system and all that and everything. And obviously, you've got a very hungry and motivated Trent Alexander Arnold, who's obviously smarting from that, that, uh, from not getting called up by England. And has sort of re- responded and is now in some of I mean, not his best form, but certainly his form is back on the way up again. So I think all of these sort of little things have sort of certainly contributed. And you know, thank goodness. I mean, I wouldn't have thought this when the when the fixtures came out in July or August, when the sort of fixtures came out, but thank goodness our last three games are sort of West Brom, uh Southampton, I think, or West Brom, Burnley, and Crystal Palace, because it's a very inviting way to finish the season
4: Yes, I think you can can definitely say that I'll come to you finally Sam, obviously um, uh, Josh mentioned that the attack of uh, Jota, Salah and Firmino has sort of helped rejuvenate them, but obviously we saw on um, Thursday that Sadio Mane wasn't actually that happy with Jürgen Do you think that might play a role especially if he starts, if he obviously starts or maybe doesn't
3: start um, sorry. Um, I very much doubt it will play a role Will I, mean, I think we've seen Mane Be slightly annoyed when he's Before in the past But as Klopp said in his post-match interview It's natural uh, Top uh, top top level that a top player who wants to score more goals Is going to be angry when they're taken off And Klopp has such a good relationship With his players He's such a good man-manager You see him after every game He hugs them, he claps them on the shoulder If there's anything more than just a professional player's slight annoyance not being able to play a full game, um, I'd be very surprised. So I doubt it will play a role and I think Mane will just get on with it and maybe even come away with a couple of goals, hopefully.
4: Yep, should be a good game, but it remains to be seen. Um, Another game that we've got this weekend is Tottenham versus Wolves. Obviously, we'll now move on to Tottenham and joke and upset the Spurs fans even more. but. Joe, I guess I'll come to you first. Do you think that possibly sacking Mourinho has really put a damper on Spurs' season and that now, when they could have possibly been fighting for Champions League, they're now sort of having to rely on the Europa League as any source of European football next season?
1: To be honest, I mean, you could say that the changing fortunes of so many clubs in that area in the Premier League table. I know when we were talking about Frank Lampard getting sacked by Chelsea, um, Ninu, a Chelsea fan, came on and said that, yeah, but at one point this season, we were leading the Premier League. Yeah, at one point this season, Tottenham looked almost dead set on Champions League football. So things change very quickly, especially in this COVID affected Premier League season. The thing is, I mean, I don't want to say sacking has made things worse because his relationship with the players, and I'll say it again, those, you know, that epidemic of bottle jobs at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, getting rid of him can only be a good thing. He'd antagonised so many players, both football players like Harry Kane and golfers like Gareth Bale. So honestly, I think bringing in Ryan Mason mentally is probably a positive thing. Tactically, there's, you know, there is a huge problem and... Honestly, I think the story here isn't so much on Tottenham, it's on just how important this game is for Wolves. Uh, I'm not going to go on into this too much, but I've got a friend around here who's been a Wolves season ticket holder for so many years. The other night, um, in the wake of a Wolves defeat, he has finally come out as Nuno out. If a Wolves fan is prepared to say that he wants Nuno Espirito Santo, a guy who signed so many portuguese players that there are now more portuguese players in the wolves team than there are in 15 of the portuguese liga nos top division teams that's how much of an impact he's had if he's prepared to say that he should leave the club then these last few games are going to be massively important for wolverhampton wanderers and for a team that with the exception of the horrible injury to raul jimenez last year haven't been hit too heavily by injuries this year again Wolves are kind of a sleeping giant in this league this year they're a much better team than their form and position in the table would suggest if Nuno can unlock the best out of them and I honestly believe against a team that are as much of a mess as Tottenham Hotspur he most certainly can this is much like Liverpool facing West Brom far from a guaranteed result in fact home advantage or not I'd actually give Wolves the slight advantage going into this game
4: yeah I mean i you next. Obviously, Wolves won their last game two one versus Brighton, and they've had a sort of anonymous season. Really, they've never they've never really been in contention for uh, European football, but they've never really been, been in contention for relegation. What do you think has changed from last season, when obviously they had a really really good season, getting to the quarterfinals of the Europa League?
3: Um, I would just like to say that I think the call to sack Nuno Espirito Santo is a bit far Nuno has done I've got a friend who's a Wolves fan and Nuno has done so much for that club you look where they were even five years ago they were just coming out of League One and Nuno has taken them from that position up to to, to the upper echelons of the Premier League so he's done so much for that club and this year I think is just a blip I think Raul Jimenez injury hit them very very hard he was such a vital part of how they played I think Fabio Silva, when they brought him in in the summer, was only expected to be a bit part player. He wasn't going to get many minutes at all. And then he was suddenly a starting striker. William Jose came in in January and he hasn't really had the effect that they would have wanted. And so I think that's been the main reason behind behind their fall from grace. I also think Nuno has been slightly tinkered with the tactics slightly too much, I would say. I think Wolves have always relied on this three-back formation, which has worked really, really well for them. Connor Cody working in the centre of that back three, spraying the long passes out to the wings. I think that's been a vital part of how they play and moving to a back four. Cody just doesn't work very well in that system. I think their 2 fullbacks, full-backs, uh, Nelson and Samedo, I think Johnny might have been injured for a bit of this season, but they're not out-and-out out fullbacks; They're wing-backs. And so they've had to struggle to adjust into the new system as well. So, next season, if he goes back to the tried and trusted four three, 4 3 4 3 or 3 5 2, I think Wolves will be there or thereabouts again next season. I think they'll be fighting for the Europa League and we'll see them in a similar position to your Everton's and West Ham's of this season. Yeah, it's yeah,
4: I mean, not really much more to say than that, but obviously, we can't move from uh, Wolves to Spurs. I'll come to you, Josh. Yeah, I mean Spurs have been very odd this season. They sort of started well, sort of falling off, seem to always be threatening to come back. Do you think that they just what has Spurs' season, would you say, been like for like Spurs? Do you think they've had a good season, a bad season? And why do you
0: think that is? Ah uh, jeez. It's a difficult question. It's a really difficult question. Um because I just I mean, just think about the the appointment of Jose Mourinho to replace Maurizio Pochettino was already a big divergence from where the club, you know, you know, Mourinho being someone who who likes his experienced players. I mean, he has turned to youth occasionally, but not too often. And Pochettino is obviously someone who likes to develop the likes of Harry Winks and Deli Ali. Um so, you know, obviously I remember in December they were in the top four, sort of close to second place, and everyone was getting very excited and this was without Gareth Bale and obviously then in January he sort of then seemed to he I think he had like a hat trick or he hit a brace and suddenly you know he looked like he could be the one to take Tottenham to new heights um, and I think Joe I remember Joe was talking at the start of the season, Pierre-Emil uh, Hoybier being the signing of the season and he was too, for like a fair few months, he was really good for Spurs and it seemed like they had sort of I mean, he, you know, got that sort of Mourinho trademark style of having sort of two short sort of destroyers patrolling the midfield um, and then having, letting those sort of creatives on top sort of work, work their magic. Son Heung-min, for me, is in the team of the season. He's had an outstanding year. But, yeah, the wheels then sort of fall, fell off. Um, I don't, you know, Bale obviously, you know, being sort of, their sort of enigmatic wildcard figure then sort of said he doesn't really plan on coming back to Spurs and I'm sure that might have struck a nerve in the in the dressing room or two and um and I I you know they just I think I I don't want to say teams figured them out but it certainly seemed that way and even when they started losing you know they started losing that sort of invincibility factor at the back and that's sort of what Jose teams you know pride themselves on and when that started to happen then that's when sort of the alarm bells started ringing because we know that's sort of his what he prides himself on so yeah it's a strange season and now that ryan mason's in charge it's sort of now a bit of a wash to be honest like the next he, he can do whatever he wants over the next two three months and i don't think anyone's i don't think he's going to damage or you know jump start his stock going up as high like it's not gonna make a huge difference and i don't know it's just a it's a weird season for Tottenham. Um I don't know if I've learned anything new about them this season other than if, you know, other than obviously, you know, what might have been if Pochettino stayed on like last year. That's it.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll come to you from the sound because I know you've got to go in a few minutes. Um, with Ryan Mason, do you think uh, that Spurs were right to have an interim manager or do you think that they should have had a permanent manager? And if so, who would you sort of back as the new permanent Spurs manager?
3: Um, they, a lot of names were mentioned in the frame for the Spurs job, Will, and I think they were always going to need an interim manager. I mean, Spurs is not looking very attractive as a club at the minute. You saw them go after Julian Nagelsmann, who went to um, Bayern Munich. I think, I think that was the right decision. I think Bayern Munich are 10 times bigger than Spurs. I'm sorry to say all Spurs fans but they are and Eric ten Hag as soon as as soon as Spurs announced their supposed interest in him a day later he signed a new contract so that's kind of quite a damning indictment of where Spurs are at the minute i mean the uncertainty around the future of Harry Kane isn't isn't helping their cause and you look at the names the names linked to the job none of them are really very attractive you would say i think one of the Inzaghi brothers is the favorite at the minute i can't remember which and His name doesn't really stand out to me. I'm sure Joe will know a lot more, but his name doesn't really stand out to me as a top, top quality manager. And then you've got Scott Parker, who we've already mentioned, who's still very much very new to the management game and he would be a huge punt. And I'm not really sure sure if he's he's the one firm at this moment in time. And then you've got Graham Potter, who as much as he's a very good coach, would he be able to step up to such a big club? I really like the football games, but it'd be a huge step up for him and it would be a learning process and it would take a few years for them to maybe regain their position, even in the top four. So whether, whether or not they'll go for Potter or for an English manager like that, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure the Spurs fans will stand another few years outside the top four. So it'll be very interesting to see where they're going. And I'm not sure that... Yes. That kind of trajectory isn't necessarily upwards. So, yeah.
4: Yeah, Yes, it will. And um, thank you, Sam, for the real shot. I know you've got to head off now to do the Boers coverage of um, the FA Cup finals. So, looking forward to seeing that.
3: Thank Cheers, you, Sam, for
0: coming on. Thank Cheers, mate.
4: So, I mean, Sam mentioned Graham Potter. So, I guess that gives us a nice segue to looking at one of the other games. Um, this uh, this weekend, in Brighton versus West Ham. Obviously, I'll come to uh, Josh first. How impressed are you with West Ham this season, especially their second half of the season? And like, why do you think that it's happened? Why have they suddenly become almost like a top four club?
0: Oh, West Ham. Um, uh, I don't, I honestly don't know. I, I really don't like. I was the guy who predicted they'd come 17 for 18, so the fact that, that this high has already blown my expectations um, away. Like I, I mean, it. I mean, the signings they made have all been excellent. I guess if I if I try and break this down, I mean, uh, Soufal Koufal, however you pronounce his name, I'm sure I pronounced it wrong. Mm-hmm. He's been excellent as a right back. So sort of unheralded, shown that. The czech transfer market is now an attractive commodity for for, for clubs uh, as has the thomas suchek signing i think those two together suchek uh, and a lot of people have compared him to fellaini it certainly felt like he's he's operated in that role but he's a lot more than that he's not just a guy who's big in the air and he can head head set pieces in like he, he's very good on the feet and i remember him scoring against everton with sort of a late run in the box so he's got that in him um obviously Jesse Lingard recently got, I think, play of the month uh, for April, uh, goal of the month as well. He's obviously had uh, hit a purple patch, sort of let out whatever anger's been within mm. him for not for United not letting him play. Um, yeah, I just I don't, you know, I thought letting Sebastian Haller go was a bit of a mistake, at least for how cheaply they went. Uh, he went to Ajax, but you know it's worked. Out. Obviously, there's a huge reliance on Mikel Antonio, and I'd be worried. I still think, you know, if he gets injured jaron bowen's a, a nice solution but he's not he's not the solution um but I, it, you know and declan rice has obviously had a decent season as well i i honestly west ham's a really weird anomaly that i don't really know how to explain um and but you know it i mean yeah david Moy's probably managed the season <laughs> like he's he's self-rehabilitated his reputation and i know joe's looking at me funny off camera but yeah it's i i i don't know it, it, west ham's one of those weird anomalies i i don't and i don't watch enough of them to you know have a fully informed opinion but like they just keep pulling results out of the bag and it's it's something quite something to see
4: well i guess i'll allow joe to respond sort of same question why do you think like west ham have done so well this season
1: I'm still sorry. I'm, I'm still recovering from the idea that one of the Inzaghi brothers has been linked to the Spurs job, which to me just makes no sense. And it's not a jump up for either of them. Anyway, um, I think the reason why they've done so well, and I again just to remind you, I was the person who said that they would finish 18th and be some margin away from safety, whereas their opponents um, this evening, Brighton, would finish 11th. So I clearly don't have a clue what I'm talking about. However, it's Vladimir Sofal and Thomas Sushak through and through. Those have been two of the most. most. Most impressive Premier League signings of the last eighteen months or so. It's very football manager slash FIFA, but it's that sort of check link up. You can actually see how well they link up on the pitch. And although Sofal is a very defensive right back, he's contributed so much going forward. It's actually kind of amazing, and it's one of those clubs where, on paper, they simply do not have the quality or the depth. And most most importantly of all the balance to justify where they are in the table they've got some great players felipe anderson on this day is unbelievable um andre yarmolenko players like that when their legs aren't made of shards of broken glass but as a as a contingent unit they are not They are not a team that deserves to be where they are. And much like with Sheffield United last year, you have to put the praise on the manager. David Moyes has been exceptional this year. He's taken a team that simply do not have the resources to get into the top 10 in my eyes and turned them into a team that all the way through the season, until realistically a few days ago, looked like they could get Champions League football, which you know, to outperform what Slavin Bilic did at that club with Dimitri Pyat on the left wing is just unbelievable. And... I'm not going to give him manager of the season simply because the idea of giving it to anyone other than Pep Guardiola makes me genuinely angry, but it is more of a philosophy thing, I think, than any one particular player. Yes, they're reliant on a few like Antonio, Sosha, um, and Sushek, and Sofal, but really it, it comes down to the simplicity almost of the defensive philosophy that, um, David Moyes has put onto this club. And it is just another example to finish this long and winding point of why attacking football does not equal good football. And the reason why they, Man City and Chelsea have improved so much is because they've they they because they've focused on defending. They've put defence first and built forward from there. Attacking football
0: sucks. I'm just going to make a quick correction. I had West Ham 16th in my predictions, so not 17th. So, slightly better. Yeah, change
1: that changes so much, Josh. Mm-hmm.
4: Yep. <laughs> well, actually, I'll come back to you, Josh. Um, obviously, oh. they're playing at Brighton, who are still quite down on the table, and they got a relegated West Brom in midweek. So, there's a genuine possibility that West Ham could get European football, be you like Euro- Euro- the Europa League, or a very outside of Champions League football. Do you think that would affect them next season? Because, obviously, we've seen with some of the sort of more midfield teams if they get if they get European football it can be very hit miss for how they do in the league
0: um well first of all i had brighton 17th in my predictions so i'm actually quite accurate on that one um unlike joe uh but i did have sheffield united 12th so yeah make that what you will um short answer yes i think it'll be quite a big factor in and i think i would i i would expect a regression to the mean west ham if they were to get european football um like the current squad they have is fine for the premier league it's not like it's not enough to sustain a european campaign as well as a domestic campaign um as i said you know you look at their striker options if antonio goes down they're playing bowen as a as a false nine up front and that again it's it, it works for the premier league but i don't think it works for europe um and indeed you know, Sebastian Haller would have been a nice option, sort of the opposite option, having a sort of taller, like target man type forward with the mobile forward that is Mikel Antonio. Um, as an you know, having the the choice between those two would have been good. Um So they definitely need investment there. Um I, Their centre back pairings okay, Diop and Ogbonna. I think it's the current iteration, and I know Balbuena gets a few games every now and then, and Craig Dawson as well, but yeah they they'll they'll need again they'll need more to, to for than that i guess if they were going to be in europe as well um uh obviously and yeah just and obviously lingard you know with him being he may stay he may not stay i don't really know what what the what the state the update is on that i don't know how keen man united are to keep him beyond next season um you know finding someone for that for, like to replace him if, if he does go is going to be paramount um and it's sort of it, it, you know i think it was a joe who mentioned dimitri paye i mean it sort of is like that like that type of player is sort of what lingard and paye sort of have in common and in and, and it's no surprise that in those the seasons that those two were at their best for west ham they were significantly higher up the table and so it's, it's not an easy task to find someone who can do that um So, yeah, I I do think they would have to invest heavily in the summer if they are going to be in Europe to sustain it. Um, But, yeah, so I'm not – I don't think – I think their league form, I think, would suffer if they are in Europe. Um, They will need investment to make sure they'll have a a squad capable of fighting two fronts or, you know – it'll be a bit like when Burnley won the Europa League, like, it might be just, they may just have to sacrifice that competition quite early, you know, they'll get the revenue for those games, um, for those those ticket sales and stuff, but it may be that at some point they might just have to give that up and focus on on the league, Um, and Wolves also, recently also kind of showed that, because Wolves, I think, finished way down the bottom half of the table while being in Europe and making it all the way to the quarterfinals, so it's a slippery slope, and I don't think West Ham at the moment are equipped to sustain a European challenge, a campaign uh, with the squad that they have at the moment.
1: New head of sport, first time muted. Welcome to the department, Will.
4: Yeah. Right, I I mean, I'll finish it off with you as I was saying, Uh, Joe. Do you think that if they do get European football, however, that they will be able to keep some of the players that might have been linked with leaving, especially like Declan Rice and people like that?
1: simply because I don't think Declan Rice is anywhere near as impressive or consistent as 90% of the English fandom seems to think he is. I don't think holding on to him with their league position will be that difficult anyway. Um, Unless Chelsea were for some reason to invest heavily in him replacing maybe an outgoing Jorginho. I don't know. I just don't see the Declan Rice interest being as legitimate as some people claim it is. Um, Holding on to players, obviously, European football is a massive draw for them. And players, as I've already mentioned, like Yarmolenko and Anderson, live for this kind of competition, where I do think they could be incredibly impressive, irrespective of the kind of system that David Moyes puts out. However, West Ham were just as impressive when they last got into the Europa League. And we all know what happened in those qualifying games against Astra Georgiou, failing to score in 180 minutes of play against them. So... Yeah, it's, it's a big ask for a team, irrespective of how much quality and money and wages a club like West Ham United have. It is a big jump to you know go on those Wednesday and Thursday night trips over to Romania and Ukraine. So it'll be good to keep players around and they definitely will need a deep, effective squad for playing in the Europa League. But I don't necessarily think they'll be that successful in it. Southampton got into the Europa League as well a few years ago and they were bloody awful. So, yeah. It's an achievement, but it's not necessarily the start of massive improvement.
4: Yeah, it remains to be seen how well they'll do in the Prem and the Europa League. Uh, we'll just finish it off with some of the midweek games. Obviously, the standout fixture is again Chelsea v Leicester, and then you've got um, Liverpool playing in, a, in just playing uh, another team. Really it, I'm really loaded. it up, sorry, Burnley um, away. but Burnley away. Uh, Burnley away, oh, that could be could be a tough one. But I'll come to you, uh, Josh. Do you think that because uh, Leicester are playing Chelsea and Liverpool have got a team in the lower half of the table, do you think that Liverpool are now in prime position for a Champions League spot? Or do you think that they're still under quite a bit of pressure and that they might not make it?
0: Uh, I'm not willing to crown us favourites. Uh, again, my pessimism flies in and i and i I don't want to jinx jinx liverpool ahead of ahead of the next week or so um but obviously on paper yes it is it does appear to be a significant advantage the fixtures um and i think leicester have to play tottenham on the final day of the season and obviously ryan mason if it is his last game in charge will want to end on a on a very high note especially in front of because fans will be back by then as well so I think they'll be they'll will be a factor there as well. So um, certainly Leicester have two tough fixtures remaining. Uh, Chelsea, Leicester, and then I can't remember who they're after that, but irrespective, uh, Liverpool probably have the two most favourable fixtures. And yeah, they'll there will be pre- I mean I, there be there'll be pressure from fans who are not Liverpool fans uh, but football fans in general if if Liverpool don't make it. Um, I you know it, but. You know, it'll it'll, it'll feel like it'll, it'll feel like a false sense of achievement if if we if Liverpool do it and make the top four in reality, or you know, it'll it'll feel like a really disappointing season that we've managed to salvage at the sort of last minute. Um, uh, but yeah, no, there is there is definitely pressure, and, and Burnley away is a very tricky, tricky fi- fixture. You know, it's it's not a, not an easy place to go to, and given that Liverpool have struggled against Fulham and West Brom this season. Uh, and I think we did lose to Burnley at Anfield, so it, you know, wouldn't be surprised if, if that happened again uh, at Turf Moor. And, um, and even the Palace game at home, you know, Palace, obviously, I mean, it'll be at Anfield, thank goodness, because at Selhurst Park, We've the memory of the that season, Liverpool were close to winning the title at Brendan Rodgers, and obviously the Chris Stamble, 3-3, um, Palace aren't great one, obviously Roy Hodgson, former Liverpool manager, Christian Benteke, former Liverpool striker, Mamadou Sakho, former Liverpool defender, like we've given a lot of players to palace, Nathaniel Klein, uh, a lot of players who will be motivated for that game as well, so it's not, It on paper it looks nice, but uh, in reality, it, it's going to be difficult.
4: Yeah, um I'll ask you the same question, Joe, do you think that Liverpool, they should say, have, and especially Leicester and Chelsea playing one another, are favorites for the top 4 now out of those three teams.
1: I really can't call it and I honestly don't think it's I don't think it's a compliment as to how competitive it is. I think it's just a case of fixtures of coalesced into a into a schedule that makes it very very difficult to predict either way. I much like with the West Brom game I just Liverpool are playing League One centre-backs. You can't say that they're going to beat Burnley at Turf Moor when they couldn't even do it at Anfield. Um, It's going to be a very attack-heavy game from Liverpool simply because it needs to be um, this late in the season. I I mean, fixture congestion will help Liverpool, much like it did in the game against Manchester United the other night. Less extreme, of course, in these last couple of Premier League games. But I still think Liverpool are going to make top four. But I it's so difficult to put it, this is the thing with Liverpool this year and it's so weird that they are essentially have salvage a top four finish after last year but it is so difficult for me to put my hat on and say Liverpool are going to win this game they are going to win this game because on so many occasions this year they have looked like they can dominate a team and then they'll go and lose one nil in their own backyard so yeah you've asked me a question and I don't have an answer I apologize.
4: Oh, that's fine you don't have an answer for everything i mean i think sort of uh, wraps it up i think can't
0: really say
4: anymore but thank you once again to joshua I... The outgoing...
0: I just want to say a quick 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 shout out sorry. um no 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 um tomorrow is the women's champions league final and if people have spare time check that out chelsea very good very good team in a women's game um could be the first club if i'm led to believe to win both the men's and women's champions league um in a single season which would be phenomenal for, for the club in general um and yeah people should watch that game uh, against a very strong barcelona side as well so just wanted to quickly plug that
4: yeah i think they would be i think they're actually the first team to get to the final in the same season both the uh, male and female club but other than that, it's been great to have Josh as the outgoing head of sport. I hope to be able to do the same as, as good of a job, if not better. And thanks to um, Joe and Joe and Sam and uh, Ben for coming on the show as well. All right, good to see you, and we'll be back on uh, next week for another quarantine stream. And look out for the midweek F one podcast where we. Re- View Spain and take a quick look forward to Monaco. Thanks for coming everyone.